Today is August 4th, 2020, and this is episode number 19 of Blurred Laws and Life with me, your host, Richard Bush. Am I Nostradamus? Is Blurred Laws and Life on the cutting edge of society and the news? Do I have an uncanny ability to predict the future? I don't know. But I will say, to my credit, Neil Young did it. Neil Young went ahead and filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump in federal court alleging copyright infringement. And to all the fans of Blurred Laws and Life out there, you all know that for the past two weeks, I mentioned two weeks ago first on episode number 17, the issue of the licenses that election campaign organizers must obtain in order to play music at campaign events. And on episode number 18, I mentioned that Neil Young was threatening to sue Donald Trump on cue, possibly as a result of listening to episode number 17 of Blurred Laws in Life and being educated that he could do that. Why he didn't choose me to represent him in this lawsuit will confound mankind for the rest of eternity. But he did file a lawsuit in federal court against the Trump campaign for copyright infringement. I do not believe he added a claim as of yet for false endorsement or for any of the state law claims that I mentioned are possibly available. But Billboard magazine actually contacted me just today to advise that the lawsuit had been filed and to ask me to comment on it. And so I believe that there will be an article in Billboard magazine running about the Neil Young lawsuit, quoting your host, Richard S. Bush of Blurred Laws and Life on the legal issues involved and the claims that are being brought, the licenses that are required, and the claims that could be brought against the Donald Trump campaign for the unauthorized use of Neil Young's music. I think this is a lesson for everyone out there in Blurred Laws and Lifeland. If you want to know what is going to happen in the future, you must always, on a weekly basis, tune in to Blurred Laws and Life. Today's episode of Blurred Laws in Life, I have on the show my very good friend and client, Robin Anton, who is the founder and creator of the Pussycat Dolls group and brand, and we're going to be discussing all things Pussycat Dolls. Fans of Blurred Laws in Life have told me that while they enjoy the show very much, sometimes the interviews are 
lengthy and it is hard for them to get through an entire episode in one sitting. So with that in mind, we have decided to break up the interview with Robin Anton into two parts. In today's episode, we will be discussing Robin's idea for the Pussycat Dolls, how the Pussycat Dolls originated, how they went from a dance troupe to a recording group, and all of the fascinating personalities and stories that were involved in the creation of the Pussycat Dolls, which literally became a cultural phenomenon in Los Angeles and ultimately throughout the United States and worldwide. So today will be part one of my interview with Robin Anton, and next week we will have part two of my interview with Robin, which will include a special guest appearance from a Blurred Laws and Life favorite, Polo Dadon, who produced many of the Pussycat Dolls' great songs. Before we get to Robin, I have a very important announcement. As all of you know who are fans of Blurred Laws in Life, Polo Dadon has been on Blurred Laws in Life not once but twice, and both times expressed that he would be able to beat me at any time in our lives when we were children, when we were young adults, now, in the future, in a one-on-one game of basketball. I tried to convince him that he was wrong, but he is stubborn and he refuses to admit that I would be able to compete with him. And of course, he refuses to admit that I would beat him, which I would. Unfortunately, as I've also mentioned, my knees at this point in my life are not what they once were. And in fact, to be more specific, several years ago, after years of running and playing basketball, I was told that the cartilage above my kneecap wore down so that there is no cartilage. And when I run, when I try to play basketball, it is bone on bone and I just cannot do it. But when Polo attempted to publicly shame me, I decided I could not take that lying down. I began doing research into stem cell rejuvenation treatment for the knees. And I found a specialist who specializes in rejuvenating cartilage above the knees so that the cartilage is as good as new and is restored. Today is the day I am going in for stem cell rejuvenation injections. The cost is exorbitant. I will most likely be homeless after these treatments. I will probably be broadcasting blurred laws in life from an alley or under a bridge. I will have to tell my daughter that I can no longer help with her tuition. I will have to call the two nurses who I pay to stay with my mother 24 hours a day, seven days a week in her apartment because my mom has Alzheimer's and tell them that I can no longer afford their services and that they should not come back and just to leave my mother alone to fend for herself. But to defeat Polo in one-on-one basketball and to humiliate him in front of all of Atlanta, it will be worth it. So please stay tuned for future episodes of Blurred Laws in Life where I will update 
you on my cartilage rejuvenation, on the stem cell treatment, and on the upcoming grudge match between the once adequate Polo de Don and me. And now, without further ado, here is Robin Anton. have with me the lovely, the talented, the beautiful, <laughs> the gorgeous, the wonderful Robin Anton. Hello, Robin. <laughs> Richard, I love the sound of your voice, first of all. It's an amazing voice. I was, You know, I've had this voice for quite a while, and <laughs> now people for the first time are remarking about how wonderful my voice is. What do you like because about it mostly, I, Robin? I know because I know the, the the side of Richard that is like, you know, just a, I don't even know. I don't want to say. I want to say tough, a tough, hardcore, badass mother up who does his job and goes out there and and helps and helps people, helps people, you know, with um, you know, things that they deserve to um be helped with i guess is that, is that the best way to say it that's the best way to say it. And, and what do you hear in this voice this particular voice that you're listening so to this right now voice is, this voice is a calming very um like more sort of peaceful tone that is um it's nice and relaxed which is what we all need right now and during this time um these times i think it's it's it's, good. it's nice it's nice to know that there's uh a calming presence in the world, like Richard Bush on Blurred Laws in Life. Yes, like there's another side of Richard Bush that is, it's calm, it's sort of cerebral, it's kind of, you know, um, I, I'm sure I could maybe I could say. You could go to sleep to this voice, I think. I could. It's like it's like a meditation voice. <laughs> it is. It's like, as you sleep, think of, you know, exactly. rainbow angels and yes okay so i i do like this voice but i and i but i do like the other richard too because we've worked together for a long time and i trust you and i believe in you and you believe in me and you know you we i know you're a good person you know i'm a good person and it's nice to have friends like that too and the other side of richard can come out at any moment at any time it's like yeah, you're like a, um, you're like you're definitely a shark, but then you're also kind of like, I mean, can I say pussycat? <laughs> yeah, well you, yes, you can say pussycat, or you can say like, I can be like a little puppy who turns into a Doberman pincher in a moment's yeah, notice. Exactly. Like, I mean, that is true, and that's a great lawyer. You know, you got to have a lawyer that is uh, that that's on your side, that um, has the that's calm, so like you don't scare everyone away. But when Richard, everyone knows out there when Richard Bush is, is there, they're like, okay, but the thing is you come in smooth and then bam, yes. you just go, okay, now we're going to, now we're going to get down to the real business and that's what you do. And that's who you are. And that's why everybody I know that works with you 
has the most incredible things to say about you. And, you know, when I see you, you put a smile on my face and I just feel safe with you. You know, I really do. I, I feel like, um, I'm just happy that we're still in each other's life after all these years. Yes. So. And those are such wonderful things to say, Robin. I love you for saying that. And of yeah. course I am my own favorite topic of conversation, but this is going to be about you. Not oh. about me. And this is going to be about Polo to Don. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. And I, and I just, just like when you watch his stories and, you know, you follow him and you watch what he does. It's like lately I've been seeing a lot of the pool stuff, you know, him at the pool and having fun and just enjoying his life. life is a rap video is what it is. It's a rap video. And it's, and, but I, so I have no idea like what he's going to say, but you know what I love about Polo is that. He, whatever he thinks about the state of the world right now and, and whether it's, you know, which, you know, has to do with politics, whatever it is, there's something about Polo that just makes you feel like, okay, like I, I, you know, that's how you feel. And he's positive. But did you know that he belongs in a mental institution? Did you know that? <laughs> he wow, came on to this podcast saying that alien lizards, reptiles are <laughs> controlling us and controlling our minds what? and running the world. And he believes that. I mean, Do you know that? I mean, hey, Did you know that about him? You know what? Maybe that would actually help us. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need that instead of, instead of we have running this country. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't do a worse job. Is that your point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, to tell you the truth, what I would say is, Maybe we don't need, maybe no president. How about that? Like my, I have a few, like, you know, some young, young minds. Um, uh, Wait a second. Al Bell, Al Bell, the famous and legendary Al Bell who ran Stax Records for many years is um, a big fan of Blurred Laws in Life. He has been on the show several times. He says I should be president of the United States. What do you think about that? Do you think I could be a good president of the United States? Wait. What do you think about that? Would you trust my finger on the button? I, oh, you could, oh, you could be president for sure. Yes, a hundred percent. Should I be president? <laughs> Not could you know I, what? but should I? Why don't I would vote? For, first of all, I would vote, but I would get every every single person in my life to vote for you. I do think that you should. I do. I mean, if you're considering it, you I, should. Do you think I should? Start, I'm a lot of listen. It's gonna, right now. It's gonna, here's the only problem going to make you grow old really fast <laughs> okay then i don't want to do it i know because you look because you look too good you, you, you look you look really really good can i, can I swear on this thing <laughs> you can yes if you're talking about how good looking i am absolutely you look, you look fucking hot you look fucking good thank so you so i would i would just say that um it might not be the best thing for you because you know you want to stay you don't want to be stressed but here's the thing you could be president and you might not, maybe it's, maybe it doesn't have to be a stressful job. Do you know what I mean? Even though there are going to be a lot of people coming at you and attacking and, you know, we all had a lot of, you know, in a lot of stages in our life just because that's how the world is right now. And it's unfair because a lot of it is people just do it for whatever reasons that they do it. And it can be stressful, you know what I mean? And you have to sort of, you know, it, even in saying rise above it, it's like, when I say rise above, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta listen and you gotta learn and, and you gotta, you know, do, uh, I don't know, just kind of, I feel like that's something that that's a part of what maybe what you would do. You would listen to everyone, you would learn from people, but you would also be 
a badass, you know, motherfucker and you'd be out there going like, this is what the world needs and I'm going to tell you and I'm going to do it right. And I'm a, and you know, you're brilliant. What you do, you have to be brilliant. Well, thank you. You know, you have to be, you can't can't, like, I couldn't do your job. I'm not brilliant. Yeah, but I couldn't do your job. What I'm brilliant at is taking, uh, you know, dancers and putting them on stage and turning them into rock stars. Exactly. And, and let's and talk. That is, that, and that's an art. It is. And let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about that because as much as I want to continue talking about me, which is an amazing subject. We can talk about Richard. I can do many. I love talking. We can do many of these podcasts. Um, let's talk about you. So, so Robin, everyone knows that you formed the Pussycat Dolls and you, you came up with the brand. You came up with the concept. And this dates back to what year? What what year did you first did this lightning bolt strike? It's really back to um, I'd say nineteen ninety four, kind of ninety five. Yeah. So I I was you know a da- um, dancer, very inspired by Bob Fosse and the musicals, you know, Singing in the Rain, uh, Sweet Charity, um, Sid Charisse, uh Shirley MacLaine, you know, like a lot of the, you know, uh, all of those pioneers of dance back in the day, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly. And I just loved that time. I felt like I sort of missed my time in that era, you know, and I loved it. I just loved it. I felt, I felt so connected to it. My mom used to buy magazines that were all, you know, Vogue, Vogue magazines all over the house. And I used to look through them and just be like, oh, my God. And my brother, Steve, was really into fashion and or just, you know, he, you know, he had an eye for fashion. And so my mom really did, too. And and um, it, it really kind of paved the way for me to get into the Pussycat Dolls, you know, more. Um, it was much more about the image than like me going in there and saying, I'm going to create these steps around it. It was more like I'm going to create a look first. And that's what I did. And I, I met up with Christina Applegate. Um, in a dance class, I met her in a dance class and she and I became friends. We went to Hawaii together. We did some fun things together. She knew Johnny Depp. We, she said, I want to introduce you to Johnny Depp. We went over to his nightclub Viper room. He had just opened, literally just opened the club. And he said, wow, you know what? This is great. And he was like, this is incredible. This is why, this is one of the reasons I opened it for something like this. We had on, I, I used to buy lingerie from the you know, vintage stores where I just buy like old fashioned Marilyn Monroe style, white bras, white panty lingerie with like garter belts and stockings. And I just put kind of make it almost look like, like girls like in a circus, but they were like, but they were burlesque, but they had like crazy wild eye makeup. I, I had like my friend Troy Jensen come in and do the makeup and build that look. He was the real pioneer of the makeup industry then. Like he really like, like, knew how to make the, uh, the the makeup look amazing. And there was, you know, the, the girls at that point were me and a girl named Carla, a girl named Zeke, a girl named Joey, a girl named Bethany, who came on a little bit later. Carmen Electra was a part of it. And, like, you know, we really just, like, took on these characters. And and I was I was so adamant about, like, the skirts had to be, you know, like, like we were, okay, so here's the thing about, like, what, how people would maybe look at us like, whoa, it was a little racy. Like, you know, I would take the costumes and cut them up in a way that you could take them off and reveal another costume. So instead of, you know, stripping or instead of even going backstage, which we didn't have a backstage 
at the Viper room, there was no backstage. So we would hang up a curtain, me and the girls. We were all in it together. We'd jump, walking up the ladder, hanging the curtain, throwing the glitter all over the curtain. I mean, it was just a crazy wild time. And this was around 95. And we, um, you know, I'd put these costumes on the girls and, and then we would strip off to the, to the numbers, you know, whatever, and take off, take off the skirt. But now you have on like another skirt, take off another skirt, take off a zip. I'd put zippers on the corsets instead, you know, like boost, you call them boosters, but they're corsets. Take, put a zipper on instead of like a lace. So, so, so it unzips and I would put sound effects in the music. So it'd go zip and then, you know, pull off the glove would be like a rubber band and I would put sound effects in all the music. So it really kind of told the story of the strip of the fake. It was a, and I remember Johnny Depp saying it's, it's like a fake, you know, fake tease, fake strip. So we were never, never strippers, nothing like that. We just, we was, it was fun. It was comedy. It was, you know, it had a, it had a tongue in cheek sense to it. And it was something that was new and, and original. And who were some of the dancers that danced originally with you? They were so the original dancers were me, Carla, who goes by Carla Kama now, um, Lindsley Allen, Joey Shetler, then, and then you have like guest dancers that would come and then, in and then Bethany and then, okay. Yes. And then Carmen. So Carmen was the first guest. Carmen Electra was the first guest in the beginning, um, along with Christina Applegate. But I will always say that Christina Applegate really paved the way for the celebrities, but Car- Carmen did too. Um, Carmen was, I always called her my personal publicist because she always, was there talking about the show, telling everybody about the show. She'd get everybody out there. I think she may have been, been the one to get Marilyn Manson out there. I'm not sure. But, um, but, but Christina told everybody about it. And then I ended up living with Christina when she introduced me to Johnny and we hung out together. She was like, come live in my big giant mansion. I was like, fantastic. Right. And I, and I paid her rent still. I was, I was fair. I was like, I, I don't want to just be taking from you. So I paid her a couple of hundred a month. I, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have any money and I put all my money into the show and I made all, I made all the costumes on my sewing machine and in her house. So Christina, then, then we would be in the show. And then, you know, Carmeet was a part of the show a year later. I met up with Carmeet on another job. And I said, Carmi, come be a part of the show. A girl named Sia was a part of it. She was a huge part of, of it and a huge part of my life. And then Carmi invited Gwen Stefani down to the show. There was Gwen Stefani in the audience. And we just, we literally like attacked her like, Gwen, you got to be in the show. And she's like, no, my God, I don't know. And we were like, no, trust, trust, trust. The next thing you know, we're at her house teaching her choreography. And then boom she's in the show and it kind of happened like that a lot like um uh, a guy named uh, randall slavin brought down charlie's theron and she was you know she came and watched our rehearsals boom next thing you know you know got her into rehearsals she was in the show scarlett johansson Brittany murphy got her rehearsal she was amazing and and all the list goes on and on pink fergie um, you know, uh, thanks to Jimmy, um, and you know, so many great actors and actresses and singers and rock stars came to be a part of it. I mean, we had everybody and, you know, Paris Hilton was a big part of it and Pamela Anderson and they all, and they danced and they, whatever they, I, this is my thing, whatever they could do, I 
went with it. So like, for instance, Gwen, I always use her as, a, as an example, not a dancer, but because she had that groove and that, that style that was so fluid and so something about it was so um, different and just, it was her own thing. I would say, okay, let, you know, I'm not, not taking your style, but let's together take your your movement and let's make it a pussy catch all thing. And she would say it exactly the same way. And then she took what, what we did together and put it in her show. And then she took like the pigtail. I put her, I, I, you know, I, I had these like long, you know, hair extensions. I put her in pigtails and I turned her into a pussycat doll and she took the role on. And so did Christina Aguilera. She took everything that we did in the show and then took it onto her stage and, and basically took it. And I was so happy and so respect, respectful and also so honored that they would do that. You know what I mean? That they would go and take it because they knew how great it was, you know, how great the show was. And that's when Jimmy Iovine found out about it. Thanks to Gwen Stefani, who said, I'm doing this weird kind of sh- crazy show down at the Roxy. And we're, you know, or, or actually, I think at that point it was a Viper room. And she said, you got to come down. You got to come see it. Out comes Jimmy. And, you know, and, and Jimmy Iovine, the head of Interscope Records you're talking about. Yep. Jimmy Iovine, head of Interscope. Then we went to the, we, you know, moved the show over to the Roxy because it was getting bigger. Gwen did another show with us. And now out comes Jimmy Iovine and Ron Fair who was head of A&R or um, Geffen records. And, and they, you know, Ron fair will always say to me that the, um, he said, uh, Jimmy said, now this is going to be your headache. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me stop you right there. I have two questions that I want to ask you about, and um, they're not really directly connected, but I, uh, as you were talking, one, the first one came to me and then I think you were getting to the second one, but let me ask you a two part question. Number one, how did you come up with the name, the Pussycat Dolls? And then number two is, how did you transform, and I think you're getting there, but how did you transform from a dance group, dance performance type of show to a recording group? Okay. When we went to the Viper Room, Johnny Depp said, you need a name because we got to put it up on that marquee you got to come up with a name. And it was like, oh, my God, now now this is going to be the hardest thing in the world. There's going to be a million names. I was living with Christina at the time. I remember standing in her kitchen, and I called my brother Steve Anton, who directed and wrote and directed Burlesque, the movie, um, years later, you know, um, and is a, is, is a really talented, talented person and, and of course an amazing brother. And, um, he, I said, Steve, I need help. Like I, I need help because you're a writer and you are so good at this. And I have so many ideas and I, there's too many ideas. And I just, he just said, just give me your list and tell me what's on your mind. And I was really inspired by a movie called faster pussycat kill kill. And we used to, and that was, it's a Russ Myers film. And we used to have uh, Alexis Arquette, who is also not with us anymore, who was a beautiful man who was um, trans. He came out and he would do this incredible uh, opening, you know, like it was the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And, And it was all from, it was all inspired by Russ Myers film. And it was called Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And so I was so inspired by that. It was like, you know, and, and that was all all of our ideas together collectively. But still, it was like, 
I never, I didn't think that I would have the name Pussycat in it, but I still like loved all that. And I loved the look of it. It was black and white. And it was cool. And the girls were really badass. And they were on motorcycles. And I just, you know, it was always that stuff that inspired me. And so I said to Steve, I'm just, I love that. I love faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And he said, what if we call it the Pussycats? And I said, but, but Josie and the Pussycats is already around, which is so funny after all this, these years, I have a niece named Josie. How funny is that? And I said, <laughs> God, I wish we could, but it's just, we, that name is already taken. And that was then Josie wasn't even born yet. And I said, you know, I also love the New York dolls and New York dolls. Wasn't really my generation. I was, I was a little bit too young, but my brother Steve was so influential and he was so, uh, knew all, you know, he would go to all those clubs and, and, bands and, and and knew all the music and he really taught me a lot about music from back in you know the, the 60s and the 70s and the great music of all that generation and I was really I really just loved the idea of the New York Dolls I loved you know, the way it looked and there was I can't even tell you one song that they did but I can tell you the way it looked and I can tell you the way they looked and I said you know I love the poster that you know because he had a poster in New York Dolls and and he goes he said what about you love the name Pussycat and you love the name dolls. What about the Pussycat dolls? He was the one that said it. And I was like, you know what? I, I think that's it. Like, I think that we went through a few different things and then boom, Pussycat dolls. And I, we did not turn back and Christina loved it and the girls loved it. And we just moved on and we became the Pussycat dolls. And it was so incredible. And you know, like what's great too is, is, you know, there's a lot going around right now, like out in the world of like, you know, being, you know, credit being given. And like, I've always been one to give credit. Look, I'm giving a lot of credit to, you know, I'm, yes, he's my brother, but credit to everyone and credit to all the people that have, that have been a part of this. And in the beginning, you know, Carla was a huge part of my inspiration. She was such a, a big fan. I was such a big fan of hers. She was the one that put her leg up over her head and, you know, we all knew each other from another job that we did Adidas, but I really was so inspired by how, by her style and Lindsley Allen really was so amazing, went on to assist me on a lot of jobs on Charlie's Angels and she was so amazing. And, you know, a lot of these girls were so um, inspirational. They were you know, inspiring to me that they had such um, unique talent that I was able to bring them kind of through the years with me until they were ready to sort of move on and move forward. Um, and, the way that the way that I was able to take what I did and turn and take it to the next level was, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it myself. Like I was like my brother, Steve, and I had an idea to take the music and take the concept to different record labels and say, you know what, can we turn this into like a like a Broadway show? Can we turn this into like a, a live cool show that's kind of like the Roxy show? Because it was just a bunch of different dance numbers and it was a bunch of different different kind of parts to it. And there were different rock, you know, one night it would be Christina Aguilera. One night it would be pink. One night it would be, uh, you know, um, all the, whoever was, was Gwen Stefani, whoever was. And, you know, we'd have different choreographers come in and choreograph. Chris Judd came in and choreographed the boys, all the, these different choreographers, you know, Brian Friedman was a part of it. Um, t, you know, TJ Espinosa, all these choreographers were, were part of it. It was, it was so amazing to have everybody come in and be a coll just the collaboration. Um, of, you know, besides Mikey Minden, who I have not mentioned yet, who's my co 
partner, choreographer, everything, you know, he's like, like the person that I look up, look up to so much in this business. And he was my assistant then, and he's grown to be such an amazing human, but also has, you know, helped me like turn this into something that is, is what it is today. And so we took all of that and in the audience, while my brother and I are taking it out to all these different record companies. And, you know, at that time it was like DreamWorks and there was Warner brothers and there was all these different people that we would take it to. And they all were kind of like, kind of get it, but I kind of don't like, I kind of see what you're doing, but it's just a bunch of girls on stage and they're in their lingerie and it's hot, but we don't know what to do with it. And, and it was kind of like, all right, well, let's, okay, next, next. And we wanted to get a soundtrack going, which obviously would have been hard. You know that, like we couldn't just steal the music, you know what I mean? So we wanted to try to, to make our own music. And I, there was a girl that came in that I sat with and, and created a whole um, tango with. I had girl and girls tangoing together it was the hottest number you've ever seen and that was that was kind of the beginning of a some of the original music so we were trying to kind of turn it into like its own you know like a, it would be its own show with its own original music so what ended up happening was and i remember we were in the parking lot of the roxy ron fair came out and said you know this is more than what you're thinking and i wanted to take it to vegas at that point and he's he's i remember we talked about taking it to the hard rock when hard rock was huge. And he, he was like, you know, that's a great idea. Love it. Love the hard rock. And I, I still went with it because I was so like adamant about it. But Ron was the one that was like, there's something more here. There's something bigger here. I truly believe that this is something that could go from what it is right now to I'm thinking a recording group. And I'm like a recording group. Like, like, and meanwhile, there was a time at the Viper room when I said, okay, who, Steve was there too, my brother, who can sing, who can sing? Can any, can any of you girls sing? One of my friends, Erica came and she was one of the sort of singers, not non-dancers, but Stacy flood was one of the original girls who sang and was amazing. And then Carmeet sang. Then all of a sudden all the girls were singing. This is the girls that were in it at the time. And it turned into a show that was like, Oh, wait a minute. Not only are the rock stars singing, now the dancers are singing. Now it makes sense that it could possibly turn into a recording group. So that's when Ron Fair helped bring it back to Jimmy Iovine. And he said, look, I saw the show. It's crazy. It's going to make your head spin. Let's figure it out and let's meet all the girls. Now, I had been you know, really like unsure about that only because it was, you know, I, I, I knew that I had all these girls, I had like 30 girls and I'm like, we're going to, you're going to sign, you're going to, we're just going to bring in all the girls. Like, like would anybody ever do that? Is that even a possibility? And like, of course, like I fought for it and I wanted that, but you know, that's something that, that unfortunately there were girls that, that, you know, when, when we all went in, you know, they said to me, well, we're going to do this deal, but you know, it's good. We're going to have to like kind of chop, chop it up a bit. You know what I mean? And we're going to have to like make it into, if this is going to be a recording group. And I was just, I was, I don't know. I sort of felt like young in the way too, that it was my first experience in the music business, but yet also I want, I was ready to be a boss and I was ready to be someone who was, you know, going to be a leader in this, in this world, you know what I mean? And in this space as a woman, you know, coming into a man's world and having to kind of navigate myself through that and have respect 
and also bring everybody with me that I knew had started from the beginning with me and who, you know, and who wanted to be there. And one of them came in with me and she, she wanted to be a part of it, but she didn't really necessarily want to be known as her name connected to the Pussycat Dolls. So we then decided to have an audition and that's when we found Nicole and Melody and Ashley had already been there. I found Ashley, um, through another audition, but I found Jessica and Kim through a Nicholas Shea audition through Larry Rudolph. Larry was a big, Larry was, was actually kind of working with me at the time because I was choreographing for him. Um, and that was, that was awesome. Right. Mikey was there and it was a, it was a great time. So, so who, so who were the original Pussycat Dolls recording group? Nicole, Ashley, Carmeet, Melody, um, Kimberly and Jessica. And did you select them to be the recording group or was it a combination of you and It, it others? was a combination of a lot of people, yeah. So like there was a line of people. It was me, Jimmy Iveen, Ron Fair, uh, Mikey Minden, and, you know, other people from Interscope kind of were mulling around. But, but it was really us. We were the main people. And did you know at the time when you selected the group that Nicole would kind of emerge as the lead singer star? No, no, did not know. Because when, when we were looking for these girls, we knew when, I, I have to say, when Melody came in, I was like, okay, we, the, I was blown away. I mean, she came in, she sang her ass off because we had already worked with, with Christina. We worked on her documentary. And I was looking for Christina, for that Christina Aguilera voice. When Melody came in, she gave it, she gave it. She just, she came in, she blew us away. And I was, I remember like Mikey running in going, Oh my God. I was like, I know. And like, we were so excited about melody. Right. So I was the, you know, really like, like pushing for melody to be the lead singer. Jimmy believed in her. Everybody believed in her. Everybody knew that she was so talented. And then like, we didn't have Nicole yet. So like we did the auditions, we found a bunch of girls that day and we put them all um, kind of in a sort of kind of placeholder where like we wanted them, but, but obviously we, listen, as if, if it were today, I would make a group of 25 or 30 like K-pop ended up doing, which were inspired a hundred percent by the Pussycat Dolls. They went and they said, you know what, we're going to make that kind of group, but we're going to have 30 girls, which was the smartest thing in the world. I wish that I would have been able to, and you know, still could, you know, you know, you never know. I might get hooked up with the K-pop people, but I, you know, I knew that we, you know, they, you know, the label wanted five girls. And so we stopped that audition that at that day, we went all day long. We listened to a million singers. It was insane. It's, you know, just, it was just singer after singer, after singer, after singer, melody really, really stood out. And you know, we knew that we had Carmi who could sing and we knew that we had Jessica who could sing and the girls, Ashley and Kim, like, you know, we, they were, they were newer singers, but they were definitely like, you know, they were real dancers. These girls are real solid, 100% bonafide dancers. Like they inspired the whole entire dance community with their style. And so then we were at record plant and we got a call saying this girl, Nicole, and her manager would like to come in and see you. And we were kind of like, oh, my God, like we've seen everybody like, OK, we're going to see another girl. She came in and it wasn't like she wanted her private audition. She just missed the audition. So she came in and she had already learned 
the choreography from another dancer from the audition, but she learned it to a different song, which was really kind of random. Like she, she, she just said, I have another song. And I was like, okay. And she had on a crazy outfit. Mikey and I talk about it to this day. She had on this outfit that was not a Blizzard Gat doll outfit. And, um, and she was really pretty, but and Ron and I were like, wow, like she's really pretty. I wonder if she can sing or she can dance. And first she sat down at the piano and she said, well, first I'm going to sing you a song that I wrote. We were like, holy shit, this girl can blow. She was incredible. Sang her ass off. We were like, okay, now the real test. And she danced. And I'm thinking, hell, I'm just thinking, hell no. Like I'm, I, I, I'm being honest. Like, like the girl's so talented already. If she can dance we are, this is, this is, this is the greatest find in the world, right? To have the triple threat kind of like Mark is like, it's just because when you grow up, you're given chances, like you are going to go into singing and you're going to sing and you're going to, and you're going to work on your vocals and your piano and your guitar, whatever that is, and your instruments, and you're going to become a musician or you're going to go and you're going to dance and, you know, say it's whether your parents push you or you push yourself and you're just going to dance and you're not going to work on your vocal. And this is how it used to be back in the day. So there weren't a lot of people that could do it all. You know what I mean? So finding that was like, was like, I feel like now they're everywhere. Now everyone is like, they're working on their whole, they're working on every second of their talent, which because they realize you, it's great when you can do it all. You know what I mean? I just, you know, it's, it's amazing. So anyway, so you know, everyone that I meet, that's an incredible talent. I'm like, can you sing? You know what I mean? I'm working with this kid right now, this young kid who's this little, his name is Jaden. He's this kid. He's this choreographer. He's amazing. I'm like, first thing I said, I'm like, can you sing? You know, it's like, it's like, it's great if they can sing. And if they can't, it's okay too. Because I always said to Kim, who, you know, maybe wasn't, her voice wasn't like Nicole's, but you know what? She was the most badass dancer you've ever seen in the one with the leg. I said, you know what? When you walk in on that stage, and you got that mohawk haircut, everyone, the world is going to fall in love with you and the world. And it was the truth. And they did. So, you know, you, you can't compare one is better than the other. They all they all became the pussycat dolls because of their character and because of who they were individually. And I remember saying, be who you are individually. Like, Kim, take on that persona and take it and run with it. And she ran as fast as she could with it. She became that. I took her in. I got her hair chopped off into the mohawk. I was like, trust. This is going to be amazing. And, you know, it, it, was, it took a while. I mean, Nicole was a little afraid of it in the beginning. She was afraid of the, of the lingerie and the corsets and all that. She was afraid of the styling because she wasn't used to it. But when she finally figured it out, it was like, it was the game, game over, you know? At what point did it become obvious or at what point was the decision made that Nicole would be the lead singer, that she would be the face of the franchise, the brand, the group? We had gone to Singapore to do the MTV awards. We went there and Melody, you know, in my eyes was always the lead singer because, because she had that, you know, she just had that big kind of, kind of, ballsy sort of like you know ad libs everywhere and I just and I, I was so obsessed with that that she was she was that girl she was the she was the lead singer and Nicole was sort of not a background Nicole was doing her she was doing her thing but it it just sort of turned it kind of turned where Nicole started singing more I mean that's really kind of what happened like Nicole started singing more Jimmy really believed in her 
the label was believing in her. And, and I, I kind of like, you know, like for me, it wasn't like, okay, this is going to be a total 180 turn. It was more like, um, okay, like I, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm seeing this because I just, I didn't think in the very first second of when I saw Nicole that Nicole had it physically. Like, yes, when, when Nicole turned her dance on in that audition, she crushed it. I mean, it was like, it was the best thing you've ever seen. It was the best performance ever. She crushed it. So we knew she was, she had it all, but she didn't have the, like, the, you know what it was? She didn't have the confidence and she'll, she'll, she'll be the first one to tell you that she didn't have the confidence. And that's what it was. And I always said, pussycat dolls is about confidence. And if you don't have it, my brother always, my brother was the one that wrote, if you don't have the confidence, you can find it. And it's there. It's inside of you. Put There's an, there's an inside. Every woman is a pussycat doll. And that was, that was our motto. And that was the thing with Nicole. She had to find it. Whereas Melody had it going on and she was fire but Melody wasn't a trained dancer, so we there was there was did that cause that did that cause when Nicole started be emerging as the face as the lead? Did that cause a problem with Melody because she maybe thought she was going to be the one? I mean, you know, look, there's always going to be that that that. I mean, there are. You know, I mean, it's not it's not like a secret that at some point there were. I don't want to say catfighting, but there was, you know. There's always going to be that. There's always going to be that. I want to be the lead. There's always going to be that. You know what I mean? I want to be the one. I want to be the one. You know, my thing was always like, look, there's only five of you. It's not like there's a hundred of you. So five of you means you're all. And I, I, my idea from very, from the very beginning was pussycat dolls. You're all pussycat dolls. It's not. It's not Nicole and the pussycat dolls. It's the pussycat dolls. It's not Melody and the pussycat dolls. So that was really hard for me. And I, tr- I, I conveyed that I, I pushed it. I did everything I possibly could with the label. You know, the label were now my boss. So like I had to kind of go along with what they wanted, but I really supported her because she knew that every time she opened up that mouth with her voice, I was like, holy shit, there is just not another girl that looks like her that, you know, can learn choreography that did not come from a dance world. I mean, you know, she worked her ass off to be the best that she could be. And so did Nicole. And so did the rest of the girls. And the girls went through a lot. I mean, listen, we had so many shows. We did so many videos. We did so many things to get to where it got. It wasn't like we got signed with Interscope and the next day we were, don't show was on the radio. It was, it was like, I feel like it was a good couple of years before that happened because don't you didn't come around for a while like jimmy was just believing in this going i don't i remember him saying i don't know what it is but it's something unique can i stop you for one second though yes was don't you was that the big break was that when it when things really blew up was don't you yeah don't you was the big break so we were um you know we were all and you know it's it's funny it's like um it's such an interesting story because every girl will, might tell it different, not in a bad way, but just, but might just sort of, you know, it's, it's nice to hear different perspectives of when that first moment of Doncha came in. And I remember we were at record plant and Jimmy Iveen came in and said, I got it. I got it. I got this song. And like, it was just, it was, I think it was Is that like your impersonation a, of Jimmy, by the way, 
Is that your nasal impersonation? I mean, my yes, yes. Like, like you know, like Jeff, our our mutual friend Jeff. Jeff has the best imitation, like jamming, jamming tats, like you know, like Robin. It's gonna be everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> it's the best. I mean, he's he is my you know he's my mentor. He's my he's like he's like my dad. He's my friend. He's my you know, he's my confidant. He's the guy that I go to when I'm like Jimmy. You know, I need you know. Jimmy Iovine, he is the king of all kings. You know, he's he sits next to Richard Bush. <laughs> and he said he said he always says to me, Robin, who's your lawyer? I said J- Richard Bush. He goes, yeah, then you're fine. <laughs> you're good. Um, but Jimmy knew that Doncha was going to be the hit. Jimmy knew that Doncha was going to be the hit, and he came in and he said, "This is this is it." He said, "Doug Morris pulled this out of his hat." Next thing you know, we were in the studio um, recording, you know, the song and we, we got Buster Rhymes to get on it and boom, it just was like fire. Lightning in a bottle. It happened so fast. It was like all of a sudden, don't you? And everybody heard it. Everybody was on radio. I know. I remember the first place I heard it. I was in Vegas. I was putting together the Pussycat Dolls Lounge. I had Stevie, a guy named Stevie D called me and said, "I, I I got an idea out of the blue called me. I got an idea. I want to create Pussycat Dolls Lounge. I, I, you know, Carmen Electra gave me your name. I was like, what? And he, and I'm in Vegas putting it together. I brought Mikey, Mikey and Kim, why Kim, who's in the Pussycat Dolls now, the original came to assist me and she worked with me and helped me put it together. We were here in Vegas and we were driving and all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, Oh my god! Oh my god! on the radio. We were like, "What the fuck!" Like it was so exciting, and nobody knew. We were, we were doing, we were creating the Pussycat Dolls Lounge at Caesar's Palace. When I, you know, because I, I went, and I met with the the main man, uh, Gary Celestner, who was the one who gave me the magic wand to say, "You're just, you know, handed over the torch and said, you go for it. Take the space. It's yours.'" And DVD was my partner on it, and. You know, I got all the girls. I got all the, the, this was, this was the new time that now we were getting the Vegas dolls. Vegas dolls were coming in while Doncha was heating up. Doncha's heating up. We were, we did a video. Um, for me, it was a hard, bittersweet moment because I was a part of the Pussycat dolls the whole time from, this is what a lot of people don't know. I was in it from the beginning all the way through this time, but I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little older than the girls and I knew that the label was looking at me going, okay, so Robin, are you going to continue on? Are you going to stay in the group? And I wanted to so bad. Like in my mind, I was like, I can do it. And I'm, you know, I'm still dancing my ass off to this day. And it's like almost like proof to show, like, you know, anybody can do it. And that's who I am. You know, like I love dance so much. It's like my passion. And so I had to take myself out of the group and, that was a really hard thing for me to do. And, and, and some of the girls we had to let, you know, tell we had to let go of that, that were because it was too many girls and that was really hard. I lost friendships. I lost, you know, uh, trust. And I had to, you know, really work to get that back because I, you know, it wasn't me coming in and saying, you're not good enough or you're not this. It wasn't about that. They were all, the reason why they were in the group is because they were all so good. And so then there we had our, you know, our perfect, uh, you know, girl amount of girls and don't you, the, the video happened and I made a cameo and, um, we had different, you know, choreographers, Tina Landon came in. And so and, let me, and, let me stop you for one second and ask whether, so once don't you becomes a hit 
Um, are you getting from Interscope the support of their best producers like Ron Fair? And, and how did Polo come into the picture? I mean, it was it was a dream come true because we had the pick of the litter. We had everybody. I mean, it was Jimmy Iovine. I mean, he's Jimmy Iovine has done everything. You know, with I mean, he was he was John Lennon's guy. He was, you know what I mean? Like he he discovered you too. He discovered uh, no doubt. He discovered you know. I mean, he he was he, Jimmy. You know, it was and still is the king of of our music of that generation, this generation. And so when he came in and said, okay, you know, like. We've got this. I mean, I'd sit in a room with these moguls and I'd just be like, oh. I mean, I knew I knew it was happening. I left one part out when I this is very interesting. When I was getting ready to choose who was going to be my partner, because because we did a showcase for Warner Brothers and they were Tom Wally and his people were going to sign the Pussycat Dolls and they weren't positive. They, you know, he was very honest and he said, I, I don't, I love it, but I don't know if it's a hundred percent what we are. And right around that time, you know, we were doing other things we were doing. We had done Charlie's angels. I had all the girls in Charlie's angels, Mick G who's my ex who I was with for nine years directed Charlie's angels and had me come on and choreograph. And I had Lindsley assist me and Mikey was a part of it with assist, you know, was working with me and, you know, we, we had done so much and, and yet we were still fighting to, you know, we had Cameron drew and Lucy as undercover pussycat dolls in, in Charlie's angels, full throttle, the second one. And a lot of people didn't even know. They just, you know, all we had done so many things that were so great. And I didn't put myself in that because I knew that it was, you know, it was getting that time to where I had to be, I had to be the woman behind the scene, you know, that was, that was going to be the creative director and not be so hands-on with like all the choreography and all that and bring in other people that, and give them the, you know, pump them up and give them the light. So by the time that, you know, it, it was with Jimmy and, and all of these people, I, I would sit there in a the room and I think, my God, like, do you know what we've done? Do you know that we did the biggest movie in the world? Charlie's angels. Do you know that we did all this? And meanwhile, they're looking at me like, we don't even know who you are. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll tell you who we are, you know, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we're about. And, you know, we, me and the girls would, you know, the, the original of these girls would come marching in me and Nicole and, and Carmeet and, and uh, Kim and Ashley and Jessica and Melody would come marching in as pussycat dolls and like marching, like we're here. And, you know, it was like the company, it was just like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. And, you know, Polo was one of them. You'd be like, what is going on here? You know? And, um, and, you know, I have to say like, like I was treated so well with Jimmy. Jimmy was so, he was so respectful with me and he would like, he would, he would introduce me to Dr. Dre and say, this is Robin Anton. She thought of this and she created this and she, and she worked her ass off to get it to where it is. And like, it was so, it was so nice to get that respect. You know what I mean? And, and I made everyone, I made it known that I had everyone beside me and next to me that helped me create this and pave the way to where we were. And I'd meet all of the players, you know? And I mean, I mean, there were times where we'd sit in a room and wait for Jimmy cause he's having a meeting with like Eminem and I'd be like, 
I'd be like, um, this is taking 500 years, but it was okay because we'd go back, we'd get in that room with Jimmy and it was something great would happen. Timbaland would come in. He had, he had songs, um, you know, wh- whoever was the producer of whatever song, you know, um, um, Rodney Jerkins, you know, he'd come in, he'd go, I got, I got it, I got it. And Jimmy would bring in all of his kids and we'd sit in a room and he'd go, do you like it? This is where I learned how to, that you need to speak to the kids. It's the kids that know what's up. It's my, it's my 11 year old niece and my 15 year old nephew that knows if the, if it's song is good or not. And these kids would sit in a room with us and they'd go, I like it. Or, you know, we, I remember when, when we would do, when, when I grow up came up, it would either be, I like it or I don't like it. And they were like, I love it. And that was it. It's all Jimmy needed to hear. Boom. Songs up, songs on the radio. And, you know, these are, I mean, these, it's like, it's like moguls and then these kids. And I mean, Jimmy just knew how to do it. He was so smart. And he taught me so much about the music business, which I knew nothing about. I'm a dancer. I mean, I came up as a dancer, you know what I mean? And I just knew that I had something that was special and I just kept bringing in and hiring new hiring, hiring. And I would hire people on my own when I had no money and I'd pay them 50 bucks to come in and do something. You know what I mean? And I'd put girls on swings at, back at the Viper Room in the Roxy and be like, you're a pussycat doll and put them in pigtails and hats and the whole garb that I still own. And I still have all the costumes in my warehouse. And, you know, I made sets and I, you know, had all my girls with me and everybody would we'd put our heads together and do it all together. And it was it was incredible. It was an incredible time, you know, of creation and creating. And, and it really paved the way for a lot of other artists and other, you know, groups to, to follow us. I mean, I have to say Dan and Kane and, and, you know, um, I mean, we followed the Spice Girls, but, but all of these other groups after us followed us and they, you know, they did their own thing. They didn't steal our thing. They did their own thing and it was inspiring and it was cool. And, and it was a time of girl groups and then boy groups came out and, you know, and, and they did their thing. And I have to say back to K-pop, I mean, they definitely, I remember seeing a special, uh, an ABC news special, I'm pretty sure it was. And I remember seeing K-pop rehearsing and they were, they were rehearsing for their show and it was all pussycat dolls that they were rehearsing to because they were so inspired. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like that we've traveled that far across the world to inspire that, you know what I mean? And since then I've always wanted to get into the K-pop world. So (laughs) we're gonna have to work on that Richard. I hope you've enjoyed part one of my interview with Robin Anton and I can tell you since I have already recorded part two that part two is a lot of fun is fascinating and of course as mentioned previously we have a guest appearance by the very controversial cerebral conspiracy theorist and Pussycat Dolls record producer Polo de Don for us all to look forward to next week. Have a good week, and I will speak to you again next week on Blurred Laws and Light. Take care.